we got to talk about precision camera for two reasons. One, we got to put out the, the uh, coupon code 50 off of 500. Exactly. <laughs> so if y'all are in the market for some gear um, and it's over 500 bucks, or if you're going to buy a couple things, you just go to the page, buy them in the coupon code, put in 50 off 500 and you'll save 10%, which is pretty cool. And then the other thing about precision is we will be there. Away, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> November 11th and 12th, Jason, Michael and I will be in Austin, Texas. And I believe it is on the Anderson road location is the store that we're going to be at. So please take the time to come down. We're going to, we're going to do a presentation both days, a short presentation, but we'll be in store for the majority of the day. So please come down, take the time to come visit. We'll be going out to dinner at some point after we're done. So we'd love to, to share dinner with, with a few of you. If you're in the Austin area, look forward to the opportunity to get down to, to precision and see a couple of their locations and, and get to know some of their staff. They've been our sponsor, our title sponsor for what I think about a year and a half now. And so it'll be good to yep. get down on location and uh, get to meet a lot of the folks that we represent and, and they represent us. And they want us to promote uh, workshops that we'll be doing. So we'll have a lot of that information. And then there's some giveaways also. We're all sending. Yeah. I'll bring some, a bunch of hats and I'll bring some stuff that we'll give away stickers and that sort of thing. But we're all going to turn in a couple of images that they can use for promotion, but those images are going to get raffled off. Somehow, some way, oh. I'm not sure how they're doing it, but they're going to make that if you show up at the store and you know, I don't even know what they're doing. Mike said he would take care of all that, but there's a chance to win an image that one of the three of us took. Very cool. And what day is that again, Ron? It is November 11th and 12th. So it is actually veterans day. And then the Saturday following veterans days on a Friday this year. Good deal. Look forward to to meeting as many of you as we can we can fit in a day or two days. Actually, just overload the store for us. If you if all can, if we can get <laughs> six hundred people to show up, that'd be awesome. Yep. Welcome to Wild and Exposed, your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. This is the ninja edition of Wild and Exposed. For those of you watching on YouTube, you'll know exactly what I mean. For those of you who aren't, we'll take a picture, put it in the show notes. We've got, uh, we haven't done a pro tip episode for a while, so we've got some pro tips coming for you but first let's uh say hello to michael morrow coming to us from colorado how are you mike i'm good how about you guys i uh i'm still recovering from the elkless elk trip this last weekend (laughs) we did (laughs) we did see a few elk and uh mike was filming a bull out in the middle um quite a ways out missy and i went up the trail a little bit and we were kind of standing I didn't realize it initially, but right behind me was a, a trail coming down off the ridge. And um, I had a rock roll down by my feet and looked back and there was a cow 
that came in 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 full ninja mode. I mean, fitting with the uh, fitting with the motif of this evening. And she came down right behind us, so about three yards behind. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going to take a little segue. I can't decide if I got the belly dancer look going on or if it is the. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just about to say, I don't know if I can continue like this round. <laughs> or if it is, the, in fact, the ninja mask. I think Jason got a picture, so we'll have that for you. <laughs> but I can't I can't continue like that either. <laughs> uh, anyway, this cow elk came walking right down behind us and literally got within five yards before the rock came and rolled down to my feet. I mean, just as quiet as you could be. And... uh so we had to back off a bit, give her some space to get where she wanted to be. But it was, it was interesting, you know, brings up another point of pay attention to your full surroundings, not just is what's immediate there. I mean, we were, there was literally a, a well-used trail right behind us. And we should have been thinking because I could hear a bull bugling up in the timber that there might be other elk as well, but it was a, it was a good encounter and, had some fun with it and got some really, really close images of a cow elk for a couple minutes while she kind of fed her way out. But anyway, back to Mike. So Mike just got back to us from Montana. So yeah, I came from Alaska, went to Montana, did a shoot in Montana for a couple of weeks. And then from there down to here home for one night. And then we went to Rocky Mountain National Park. To meet up with you to see if we could find some elk. It's a little late though. I think you guys hit it better earlier, but I'm told it wasn't a great year overall anyway, but maybe you guys can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, let's bring Jason on. Jason Loft is coming to us from home in Utah. Kind hey of guys. Describe the elk rut this fall, Jason, because it was a weird one. Yeah. You know, we, we actually chatted quite a bit amongst the friends and those of us who are out there in the field this year about just it, it's hard to explain it was just different and that's what all of us just kept saying you know and it, it's it's hard for me to give as much credit to like one given animal for and make a specific animal for how much impact that one animal could have on the way the rut was going in that location right but it became really clear to all of us we all just kind of thought about it and got talking about it more and more and it's like why is it so different and what was really unique about, I think, that situation there is that one bull, uh, whatever name you guys all want to call him, Super Bowl, Bruno, Kahuna, whatever. When he passed away last year, what he used to do is come down very, very early in the rut, and he would gather up every cow he could find in the whole area. And there was times when he'd have over 120 cows in the meadow by himself, and he would start rutting real early. So what had to happen, I think, is that if any other bulls wanted cows, <laughs> they had to come to the meadow and take them from him, right? So with this situation now where he wasn't doing that, he's no longer with us, then the other bulls just kind of started gathering up their own little groups of cows, and they kind of stayed in their own little areas, and they rutted their cows. You know, there wasn't a lot of intermingling. There wasn't a lot of um, fighting. There was some. You know, there's still some of that happens. Uh, but we didn't see a lot of it, and we didn't see – near the um, localized rut action. It was very spread out and very, um, I don't know. It was, it just was different. I don't know how else to explain it, but I think 
kind of trying to summarize how it went. That's probably the best explanation. Um, you know, you used to be able to go to the meadow and find action. And there was still some action there for sure, but nowhere near like it was in the past. It was a lot more smaller pockets spread out all over the place. That's really interesting. So I think we probably talked about it on the podcast, but how did that animal die? Was it because it seemed like he was in his prime, right? Well, he, he was, he was the top yeah. end of his prime. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think he was probably just over the heel, so to speak, of his prime, maybe kind of starting to, to regress a little bit, um, but still very healthy, very active. But I, that last year, he got hurt pretty bad um, from a couple different brawls he was in, and he never recovered from that and went into his winter months, you know, limping really, really bad, could barely get around and never really left that area, that marine meadow area, and eventually ended up there's a lot of theories out there um i'm not so sure i buy the theory that a mountain lion took down a bull like that i just have a hard time believing that even though he was injured and so on but there was tracks around the body but that's not that doesn't surprise me after an animal dies right but regardless of how he died nobody really knows how he died but um i think a lot of it had to do with him he had shed one side and talking to some good friends of mine they say that you'd be surprised how much uh how much of an impact that shedding process has, how much energy it takes from an animal when they actually shed. And it seems quite obvious from their take that even, you know, big bucks, big bulls, whatever, when they shed, there's a lot of times when they're in their old, older ages, it'll actually, they can actually die while they're shedding. That does it. Yeah. Right. So him being injured um, over his prime and, you know, shedding, starting that shed process, you know, I think it's just a combination of things where he just ended up, you know, that ended up doing him in. But. So I saw some pictures of similar kind of bulls, which you would think is probably that genetic strain moving through. But is there one that's kind of taken the place now? Or is there, did you guys see any that were like up and comers? Or was it all pretty much just regular bulls and the harems all spread out? Yeah, I don't know, Ron, what you saw. But when I was there, um, I definitely saw some up and comers for sure. I mean, the genetics are just amazing there. Um, everybody had some theories about one specific bull kind of coming in and being the guy. He's the one that kind of came in and messed with Bruno last year and really gave him a run for his money and took his cows and kind of whooped his butt. And, and that bull never showed up, um, during the rut. He was, he's been seen, he's around, but he never showed up, never came down there and never uh, was in the meadow or in the area. Matter of fact, nobody I know during the main portion of the rut ever saw him or photographed him. So, you know, we all have our theories about, you know, how things will go down and whatever, but that just didn't seem to unfold. And there really wasn't any one bull that I would say was like the guy, you know, like the, like he was in the past. So it's, I think it's just going to be an interesting transition period over the next year or two. I would imagine at some point that a bull will end up coming, coming to be that guy, but I don't know if it'll ever be the same. It's just, I think a lot of it just has to do with how that one bull, you know, did, did his thing during the rut, which impacted everything. And now it's more like normal, if that makes sense. I think this is what normal looks like. And so this might be the new normal, you know? So, yeah, it's not normal to the people that have been there photographing the rut for the last four or five years, but it's, it's probably what it should have been had there not been a bull like him around. Right. Like you said, and there's, yeah, there's definitely his genetics in, in a couple of those bowls, you can, you can definitely see it. And I'm excited to see what's, 
going to transpire with them over the next three or four or five years because they, they've got some serious potential. Yeah. Yeah. There's one that is just significantly smaller, but Spit looks almost damage. identical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's almost kind of like, we don't, <laughs> we don't need another bull that looks just like him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's nice to have some variety too. Right. I mean, I think everybody's kind of tired of seeing photos of that bull. I'm not tired. I mean, he's amazing. Don't get me wrong. And, I've still got plenty that I'm very, very happy with, but he's been probably the most photographed bull elk in history, I'd imagine, but mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. So we've got a new guest on the show tonight, and we are going to do some pro tips, but Mike, just when he came back from Alaska, you were kind of coming off the tail end of the second bear trip, correct? Right. And our guest tonight, Brandon Day, coming to us from Littleton, Colorado, was on that trip with Mike. So we're going to kind of talk about it from a participant's standpoint. And we are going to ask some hard questions and find out just what kind of uh, workshop leader Michael was and and where we could see improvement with, with his performance. <laughs> but uh, welcome, Brandon, to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited, yeah. Yeah, it was super cool. When I found out, I mean, I saw Brandon's name on the list, but I had no clue. He was from Denver. I had no clue what he looked like. I had no clue, you know, and you really don't with a lot of the participants from these workshops. So when I got there and we started talking a little bit and I found out he's from Denver and found out kind of his backstory, uh, we just kind of clicked and it was kind of fun. So I told him we should get him on the podcast and talk about a retrospect and just how it went and as someone that might want to take one of our workshops, what they can expect from a participant's point of view. So Brandon, Mike set the table. It's a pretty easy cleanup. Sure. <laughs> Go ahead and tell us about your, tell us about your background. How did you get started? So I'm an automotive photographer and it, I love cars. And so I've photographed cars for a long time, but it was a natural progression. Cars are hard to find, right? And once you photograph so many Camaros or Corvettes or um, a lot of JDM I, cars. I'm going to stop you right there because I've been to Denver and compared to Wyoming, cars are not hard to find in that area. <laughs> no, n- not in Denver. It's <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> it's easy. Well, and there's five months, we'll say, out of the year where a lot of those sports cars just get put away. And it's hmm. a little bit hard to tune your your photography skills. Right. And so it was a natural progression. And next thing you know, me and my wife were looking in our backyard and I'm like, Oh, look, there's a, a little bird. It's like, Oh, look, there's a little bird with yellow. Oh, look, there's a little bird with some, some orange. And next thing you know, we have Colorado bird books and we're looking through all of these and checking them. And next thing you know, I'm, Oh, well, I want to photograph these and I walk outside and they'll fly away. So I'm researching how to figure out, well, there's a blind that I can use, but well, then the feeder's in the way. And so I kind of worked through birds and then it was, there's some local spots that are really big bird habitats here in Colorado. And we're really lucky to have those and you could see some big raptors, right? And so we go out to a local area and this eagle flies by and it was one of those moments where it was blind luck. I didn't know what I was doing with bird photography but i just happened to get lucky and i pulled up the camera and snapped a shot of this eagle and it was 
like a beautiful background. It was mid flight. Everything was clear and it just hooked me. And I was like, Oh, I need to get more and I need to get better. And so every weekend for that year, we went out and tried to photograph eagles and great horned owls. And we found some screech owls and we kind of went overboard. And so we, we stayed on the bird path for a while and then it was, Oh, let's go camping in Rocky mountain national park, which is no secret. And we were there in September and we were having a fire, which was one of the few years you could actually have a fire out there. And um, you heard the elk bugling and you got up the next morning, there was this fog that was collected around the valley there. And so I, I went out and snapped photos that morning and it just hooked me on the elk. And so it's just been this constant further addiction to wildlife. And we're blessed here in Colorado to be able to go and do that. Um, there's some other areas where there's some black bears where I've been tracking here lately and you'll be walking along and there's people riding their bikes and you'll look over and there's a black bear 40 feet up in the, the oak tree eating acorns up there and no one's the wiser except the people that are in the know and this bear just sits there and eats and you can photograph and film them and you could spend a little time with them and they'll duck back into the bush and they'll be they'll be gone but it's addicting and so I I had a pretty stressful job for 18 years and the the company I worked for got bought and they were moving everything to Houston and they said, well, Brandon, you need to move to Houston. And I told them there's no way and nothing against Texas. I, I worked Texas when I was doing engineering work with them for, for several years, but Colorado is where my home is and it's just where my heart is. And so we, we decided to just, take a pass on that and we'll figure it out. And so I decided to go hundred percent into photography and video. And, uh, it just happened. So that the wild and exposed team was going to Alaska and I got this Instagram post that, Oh, join us on the bear trip. And I was like, why not? The wife said, I think you should do it. I was like, All right, here we go. And so I signed up, not knowing a lick of what I was going to do. I was, I knew I was going to be on a boat in Alaska filming brown bears. And so, it got me through the next six months. And, uh, I remember I called the guide and I was like, how do I pay? Like, I want this. And he was like, no, I got, I got your name down. I'm like, no, no, no. I need to do this right now. And he's like, no, no, just like you can send a check or card. I'm like, no, I don't want anyone else to take this. And he was was like, no, you're, you're good. You're, you're in the trip. Don't worry. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I, I made sure that I was on there. And so I got everything set up and and they did a great job of getting everything listed out of everything for the one thing I would say is waiters are a prerequisite. Like there's no, don't do any hip boots. Don't do any of that. Like get waiters. If I think it's probably gonna be a requirement after our little trip, Michael, but if it's not just get the hip weight or don't do hip waiters, do the full like chest waiters. It is a must. Um, but that's really the only problem I had with the the packing list. Otherwise, it was very thorough. Um, so I went through all of that, and I had all of that from being in Colorado. And so I packed all that up, got to, to Alaska. It was six hours to Anchorage, I think. And then I had a four-hour layover and then a short little 45-minute flight into Homer. At that point in time, you're pretty nervous, right? You're like, have I brought the right equipment? What am I what am I getting myself into? Then there's this time in between where you'd leave early, early in the morning. I think it was 2 a.m. when they finally departed the the marina. And 
you go to sleep and then you wake up and all of a sudden you're in the middle of Alaska seas and there's mountains offside. And I'd never been to Alaska, so it was a bit of a shock for me in that you come outside and there's these mountains that just reach up to the sky. You can't even see the top. There's clouds all the way around you and you're just cruising along the water. And so you go upstairs and and the 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 crew had already made breakfast and everything and so they oh hi good morning and they're so nice and pleasurable and you're just out of your element right and so you're sitting there eating and you're like am i dreaming am i i don't know is this real life right and so you you kind of get to that and the guide sits you down and he's like okay so these are brown bears and and they're still wild animals and he gives you like the bear talk right and we're going to stay with the group and you don't go off by yourself and all the normal things that we hear, but it's just, it just hasn't sunk in. Right. And so then we, we stop at the first place and they start offloading these giant Zodiacs. They're like, yep, we're going to put you on that. Just put your camera gear on, like suit up and, and get your camera gear on. Like, oh, Okay. So I throw my pack on and they load us up and you're on there with four or three other people and, I got Michael on mine and a few other, but Michael and I have a bunch of video stuff. And so I'm carrying a tripod. He's got a big tripod. He's got a big camera and all these other ones are pretty light. And so they start scooting into this area and it's 20 inches of water maybe and jump out of the Zodiac. And sure enough, there's land down there and it's just open. Right. And so there's a glacier up on the top and these mountains surrounding you. And they're like, okay, we're going to look for bears okay, where are the bears? And so like me being from Colorado, brown bears to me are just like, they're exciting, but they're still an apex predator, right? Because the the mainstream media has made them out to be just these terrible man-eating, vicious monsters, right? And so like the whole time, like your the hair on the back of your neck is prickling and everything. And finally, like the guide and Michael are like, oh yeah, there's one. And so you're like, oh, okay there's one. And so like you get hyped up and you're like, you pull out your big lens and you're waiting for it. And it's 500 yards off and I'm taking pictures like, Oh, I got my first Brown bear. (laughs) You're really excited. And so I'm like giving Michael the thumbs up and he's shaking his head. Like, look at this guy. Like he doesn't (laughs) even know. (laughs) And so then they, they get us down to the, the river and this bear's been fishing and he's maybe, I don't know, 300 yards off. Does that sound about right, Michael? He was a long ways off. But it was like, okay, I've got my bear. Like, trip is done. I I got the picture. Got my video. I even got an eagle off in the background. And he's just kind of smiling and shaking his head. And then this other, the second bear comes off and walks from the left into the picture. And it was like 100 yards. And it was one of those, like, oh, my gosh, am I okay? Do I need to get closer? Do we need to move? Do I need to start, like booking it like you start worrying right and, and michael's just filming away and i'm like all right if he's filming i'm gonna film and so we we just filmed away and it was like he the it was a female and she'd walked by and it was and went and fished and it was one of those i, I remember looking at michael and my, my eyes had to be the size of dinner plates but i just remember being so excited and it was like okay i've done it like we got the bear i got a video Everything is right in the world. Let's go home. And he was like, this isn't like, this isn't nothing. Two bears is nothing. 
and I got back and I offloaded those pictures as fast as I could. I didn't even get them on the second hard drive before I started clicking through Lightroom. And it was just an exciting time. So that was the first day. And it, I mean, it just got better from there. But Okay, so that's day one. That was day <laughs> and, one. Well, yeah. encounter, encounter well, number two, one. Encounter yeah. number one for you, right? Brown yep. bear encounter. Yep. Yep. So you're kind of in awe a little bit. But then oh, I was you... like starstruck. You'd think I saw like yeah. Brad Pitt and it was my first prom or something. <laughs> <laughs> that those are two descriptors that we've not had on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. It's a, we, it's a we appreciate show, you. So I'll stop appreciate you bringing some first. <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting. So as you move in, as you move into the next day, and I'm, I'm sure this is where you were headed, but as you move into the next day, had your expectations changed? And what kind of conversations did you guys have on the boat? Was everybody else at the same level of excitement as you? Yeah. Well, we were, I don't know what the other trips were like, but I think we had a, there were some really good photographers on our trip. I don't know about the other ones cause I wasn't there, but. I remember going back and I was surrounded by some people that had taken, like there was two bird photographers on there that were exceptional in their, that area, real photographers. And so it was interesting to see their perspective. All of us were kind of enamored, I think in that first day. And so a lot of us had the same shots. And so we, same type of uh, criticism that you'd hear, I think from any first time, person like the it's a three-legged bear right because you're not getting them because they have that overstep walk where they walk with the back foot and the front foot at the same time but the front Mm -hmm. foot goes in front of the front foot and you get them as three-legged bears a lot but or their foot's not out of the water or something like that and so we had a lot of the same photos in that regard and it was being that it was so far off a lot of us have that same long shot where it was right at us um so I guess my expectations, mine personally, were really confused because I'm, I was shooting primarily video up there. And so video, one of the biggest problems you have with video with wildlife is the story perspective, right? And so with video, you always want to be telling a story. And with photos, you want to tell a story. If you can tell a story through photos, you're exceptional. Um, it's that much harder, right? And so, but with video you're always trying to capture those little moments that lead to that story. And that story is comprised of all these little moments that are part of the plot, but then you need some sort of conflict that arises with wildlife. And sometimes that's a little hard because I mean, an elk eating grass is, is not a conflict. Right. And so mm-hmm. you get that in a little bit of the few weeks a year where you can create a conflict, but it's a little tough. And so my mind was just constantly going of, well, I'm getting good B-roll, but what's the story? What am I trying to do here? And I'll be honest, I didn't get it on this trip. Um, I probably need, I don't know, five more trips to probably fill in a story. I got three minutes of good video um, that I've posted on the YouTube, but it's been hard for me to create a story just around the wildlife. Now there's a story about me going out into that, but that's a little bit of a tenuous area, right? You don't want people just marching out into the area and trying to film brown bears. Um, And so that's been another area where I'm 
learning on the wildlife side. But going into that second day, I was thinking, okay, well, I need some establishing shots of the setting, right? Because you always need a character in a setting for those. The character is obviously your bear and yourself. And then the setting is Alaska, but you need those those settings that establish that shot, right? And so you need the wide angle. You need that medium shot. You need a really close-up shot. And it's just hard to do in a day. And so you're you're constantly just trying to change all of these different shots, but you're trying to shoot the same bear. From that first area, I'm like, okay, well, a bear fishing in a river is going to be hard to establish that. We get to the second area, and it was one of those things where you go to sleep, and then you wake up in this other area, and it's just like this magical area. And you're in this cove, and it's quiet, and there's no wake. The fog in the fog sitting on the mountains and you go up in this river and it was the most clear water I've ever seen. Like I have a video that I dunked my iPhone under there and I got the pictures of the salmon. There's a whole video of salmon swimming under the water with an iPhone. I didn't even use a GoPro. And so you, you walk into this area and there's this hill that you have to crest and there's two bears that were just already fishing, munching down on fish. And it was like, okay, well, I think I can start to do this. And then there was another bear that came in and another bear. And so it started to get easier to make those, those stories. Um, but there's the, for me, it was so exciting that it was hard not to, like, you just want to take that one picture where they're so close up, right? Just because it's so exciting. And you got to tell yourself, you, you already have that shot. You don't need them at, 600 millimeters as close as possible and so that's the hard part for me on that second day um i ended up shooting with the 70 to 200 to just force myself to not take those pictures but we should go into more detail on day number two because i think i mean like brandon was saying day one we're at a place where it was just exciting for everybody to see a bear and when you see a bear like you said, 500 yards off and you get your pictures for, for me as a, as a host or Dave, when you refer to the guide, just so the audience knows, uh, Dave Backrack is, is our actual bear guide. So he knows these bears backwards and forwards. So when you hear Brandon talk about a guide, that's who that is. But when we see that first bear for Dave and myself, it's like, whew, okay, we got a bear. People have pictures. Now we can really get to the good stuff. But we knew we weren't going to get the good stuff at this first place, but we stopped at this first place because it's such a long ride on the boat that you can get ants. You know, everybody gets antsy. They're like, oh, you know, we just paid all this money to go on this trip and we've just spent 12 hours on a boat. Well, and in fact, didn't we stop and shoot some sea lions yeah, beforehand? Because like it was like, slid by him, yeah. Yeah, we just, we didn't get, we didn't stop. We just kind of floated really slow by And I took him, like was, 500 photos of sea lions. Because <laughs> everybody's so excited, right? So we had the sea lions and we had the, the bears out of the way as far as finding them. But then day two, which I had never been to this place where we went day two. And like Brandon was saying, you crest over this little hill and you see this clear water. And it's like, holy Moses, it's like amazingly beautiful. And then here's, here comes the bears. So take it from day two now, having this experience being so close. And remember that situation where half the group wanted to go back to the boat? And we decided yeah, I didn't know to stay. I know if we wanted to talk about that. 
I think so. Let's talk we've, about it. We've already I... talked about it. So go go ahead and give us the details. <laughs> okay, so they like half the group they had checked the box. Like they they got their bear photos for the day. It was pretty miserable. It started raining, the tide had changed, so the bears had gone away for a bit. And they want to go back in. And I remember looking at Michael and a few of the other ones and I was like, I wanna stay as much as I can. Like I don't want to be on a boat, right? I I got the patch behind my ear because I was worried about getting seasick and I'm pretty sure I would have. So like, I don't want to be on the boat at all. And so I'm there begging Michael and he's like, I think we can do that. And so they worked it out. So half the group would go back and they got on the Zodiac and booked it in. And the rest of us went in, went a little further because we were a smaller group. And we got to the spot where there's this beautiful waterfall coming down. And there was, I think there was one fishing up on the top of the falls. There was one kind of middle of the area. And then there was... Um, a, another a big sow sitting on this rock just watching it all kind of and then there was a big male he was sleeping though and he would wake up occasionally and peer out at the water and no no I don't want to deal with it and he'd go back to sleep and so I'm I have the 70 to 200 on it is pouring rain I'm down in this water and it's probably up to my waist and I I'm filming right so I have a tripod I have a shotgun microphone on top. I have this camera and then I have all the rain stuff all over it. I have a bug net on and all my rain gear on. And this, the one that's sitting at the bottom of the waterfall decides, well, I want to see what this thing is. It's come over here. And so it turns around and it looks at me. It's one of those moments where you like, you lock eyes with this predator and it's like, I mean, I'm not a little guy, but this thing was just a, giant like if these things come down from a spaceship and they come in the middle of the cities we're gonna like think they're monsters right (laughs) and so you're like staring at this thing eye to eye and it was one of those moments where it's like humbling you're like okay like this is a this is a big creature and it she like looks at me and she like looks at this rock and decides okay and she just pulls up this rock that has to weigh as much as I do. And she just moves it with her, just moves it. Okay, there's nothing under there. There's no fish under this rock, weird. And then just sits back down. And it turns out later, talking to Dave, that it was a nervous behavior because this other bear was starting to come out. And she was she knew she was going to lose that fishing spot. And so she was just nervous and she was trying to find things to do. And so this other bear ends up coming by me. And it's... Uh, I don't know how deep was that pool, Michael, like 10 feet, probably. It was enough that the bear had to swim by me, but it's just downpouring, right? You have your raincoat and your hood up. And so all you can hear is the rain over top of your hood. And this bear comes by and it was like one of those moments where everything else just goes silent and it looks at me and it just kind of like smells and then does that chuff that they do. And it was like, okay, you're good. You're not a fish. I'm just going to keep moving. And I'm just trying to film and like, I'm sure the film is just so shaky because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening. And I'm so excited, a little bit nervous. And I'm looking at Dave and I'm looking at Michael and Michael's just head down filming. I'm like, okay, he's not worried. I shouldn't be worried, I guess. And so, and they come in and if, sure enough, this one pushes that bear out and they do like this little growl. And so my eyes, I'm sure are just big, like, oh my gosh, we're going to see a fight. Are they going to eat us? And nothing like just... <laughs> 
she moves off and goes away and it's not a big deal but there's i don't know it's just such a magical well first tumbling right it reminds you that like first wild animals are wild second they demand respect and then there's just that which is one of the reasons i love being out in nature is that just everything around mother nature is we'll call it the the tide the bears the salmon you got to respect it because it's going to tear you apart if you don't but if you do like you can be in part of it and you can observe it and it's magical like absolutely magical moments and so the fact i got some of that on film was just really cool i mean i got this picture of this bear sitting at the bottom of this waterfall just chilling and the water's just going down this waterfall and it's like a painting and i don't know so it was it was really cool we got to stay out there for another 4 hours i think and got some really good stuff so but it was um what i i picked up a fourth point out of that story and that was that i mean we're we're all about we're all about figuring out what kind of guide michael was and and I the fourth point that I heard, I kind of picked up the subliminal message that Mike really wasn't concerned about his participants at all. He was... No, I think he was. He made us bathe in butter and salt and pepper. I yeah. don't think he was too worried about it. Yeah, no. That sounds that sounds like what I was picking up. <laughs> no, he, he was a good guy. He uh, being video, it was really helpful for me because. I'm, I mean, I'm still a novice when it comes to video. I came up from the photography side and I don't know, like you guys do some video coming from the photography side and then trying to do video is almost worse than learning video from the ground up. I would say just because you start with photography and you're like, okay, I need a, a shutter speed to do this. And you kind of have three different things that you can be changing, right? And that's your shutter speed, your aperture and your ISO. But with video, like you can't change your shutter. Like you just got, well, you can. It's just not going to be cinematic, right? As the YouTubers would call it. And so you really just kind of turn that off and you have two things. But then with wildlife, you're usually shooting in darker or not very well lit studios, right? And so get rid of the aperture. And so really it's your ISO. And you're using these VNDs and you're trying to learn about stops and you thought you knew about stops until you really try to throw a filter on the end of it. And then you try to use these like variable ones and they start putting like X uh, patterns into your feed. And you're like, why is this X pattern in my feed? And you're like, oh, it's because I'm using a variable and they don't actually work very well. And so it's just this learning that I think if I would have started with video and you just would have learned that. Well, if you're going to shoot in 30 frames per second, you just need to be at one over 60. And you just don't have that um, hope that, well, I can just change my shutter speed to make it better or worse. And so being that I'm on the video side, it was helpful to have Michael there because I could ask him like, hey, are you shooting log? And I'm for those that don't understand what log is, log is just a different form where it makes it really you're increasing your dynamic range within your camera system where when Sony says you can get 15 stops of dynamic range, that's how they're getting it. They're not shooting with a normal picture profile. They're shooting with this log profile and then you add a lookup table or a LUT to it and it's grading it to a rec 709, which is kind of the standard 
viewing broadcast. And that allows people to then see the, the normal viewing and then people will color grade it from there. And that gets you your 15 stops of dynamic range from that log. But it'd be almost comparable to a photographer shooting JPEGs instead of raw or JPEGs and raw, because you're, you're getting more of a, almost a raw with the, with the log format, almost a raw file. But if you use log, you, it's almost like you wouldn't want to view it on your TV. You have to Mm -hmm. do a lookup table or a color grade to it. I, w- I don't want to say it's unusable, but it, it's pretty, it comes out very washed out. It's pretty Almost flat. like you've yeah. overexposed it too much. Yep. And so it's really flat. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was good from that perspective. The, I will say I probably gained 10 pounds while I was on this trip because the chef that was on the boat was absolutely fantastic. And she would make these things that I didn't even know I liked and I'd have two servings <laughs> and then she'd like pack a lunch for it, and she'd be like, Oh, here's your snacks. And I'm like, thanks mom. This is great. Like, <laughs> but I surprised they didn't have to push me out and float me down the river. Well, in reality too, you're not walking that far. I mean, the most we walked was that first day because you just have to, but when you get to these really intimate areas that Brandon's describing, you might walk well. One, I guess we walked a little ways, but the first one, the first one we're talking about right now, you ride a Zodiac to the, as close as you can. And then you just pretty much pop over a hill, which might be what, 50 yards. Yeah. And then you basically just sit there for three, four five, six hours, depending on the tide. So you don't get a ton of exercise really. I mean, so it is easy to gain that 10 pounds. When it's cold, like being that I was doing video, I wanted to be in the water. And so. You don't, when you first start out, you're like, okay, I'm kind of warm. And so you take off some of your layers and you put them in your bag. And after four hours of sitting in this 50 degree water, you start to get a little cold. And so you throw on more layers and then you run out of layers and then it starts raining on you. And so you're like, I got to move. And so you try to move a little bit, but you're trying not to disturb anything. Right. And so it, I would say if you're going up there, make sure you have your, your layers figured out with a good base good mid layer, good wind layers, and then definitely bring a bug net. Cause we, there wasn't a spot that we stopped at that we didn't wear bug nets. And there was a few participants that didn't bring some. And I think they borrowed some from Michael cause he had, would you buy out the store, Michael? <laughs> yeah. I carry a bunch usually just so everybody has them. <laughs> but, he had one for his camera too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can't <laughs> let him get into that fan, but along the lines of, of being in the water. So if we get to a location where, it's safe to be in the water and we're not going to disrupt the bears. It's pretty awesome, right? Cause you can get, and this is where the waders come into to play too. What Brandon said earlier, if you're wearing chest waders, I mean, you can be right up to right up to almost the top of those waders. And then your camera's right on the water and you can get some pretty amazing images and video. But the consequence is, is you sit there for whatever, four hours and, I never did it. I never, well, I did it a couple of times, but not for four hours. And man, there was a couple of people that had a hard time standing up after being in that water for so long. Well, and the tide's changing too, right? So you can't just sit down and chill out because all of a sudden your seat is underwater and then your, your chest is underwater. So it, you're constantly 
it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And so you're trying to figure out, okay, do I still have an escape route to be able to get out of here and get my equipment out of there? Um, so it was, but it was, it was a good area. I mean, that, that was probably one of my favorite areas on that trip. So I love the fact that you guys stuck it out and it paid off. You know what I mean? It's very rarely do I hear of a situation where you decide to stick it out and it doesn't pay off. You know what I mean? So that's pretty cool. Yeah. We sat there through that rainstorm and it was, I, I had an umbrella because just the video camera is too hard to put a cover on it. And man, it poured on us for it. What? 45 minutes, probably a, a serious downpour. Yep. But it totally paid off because that was some of the coolest stuff. Not necessarily shooting, but just some of the coolest stuff we saw. Or, yeah. you know, me just getting to see what Brandon saw and just having a, an encounter like that was, that was worth the me going on the trip just to see the excitement he got out of it. Right. Well, and I think I was the newbie there, right? Like the other two had been on previous trips before, so they were kind of used to it where I was like just a fish out of water. Cause they, they kept laughing at me. Yeah. But that's the best, that's the best way to go into one of those trips. I mean, we, we talked about it when Mike initially got back going there with expectations is, is more difficult than going there without really knowing what you're getting yourself into. And that fresh perspective gives you an appreciation for exactly what it is that you're experiencing. I think a little bit more than the guys that have been there and done that. You know, maybe not in that exact spot, but I think you appreciate it more when you're fresh. And so I don't, I don't think that's a negative at all. I think that's, you, you take away something more than what, what they got out of the same experience. One last thing on the trip and then we can move on. But, and I know we talked about this on the last podcast, but I was talking to Dave today, earlier today about what are we planning for next year? What, what do we want to do? And it came up again where it would be super cool to do a 10 or 12 day video only. And you kind of need the 12 days or 10 days because of what Brandon was saying. I mean, you get there and my thought process is, and again, we might've talked about this already, but I'm just going to throw it out again because I want to hone it into a really cool trip and a really cool learning experience. So if I'm out shooting for the BBC or if I'm out shooting some sort of project, they usually give us three weeks minimum. And sometimes, or a lot of times that gets extended because we don't get that whole story. So even 10 days is might not be enough, but I think we could do it, especially with the bears. Cause we can count on the bears being there. But what I was thinking is do a 10 day where the first three days you just go shoot. You know, you talk about it beforehand, you kind of give some, everybody some ideas of what to be shooting over those first three days. Then hopefully you get a weather day or you just take a morning or afternoon off. And then we start assembling those first three days worth of video that we get. And then we start finding the holes. Everybody starts finding the holes, the places that they're missing. And then we can go back out after that and start filling those holes. Whether did we get enough close-ups? Did we get those establishing shots? Did we get whatever? And then I was also thinking, you know, so much of the story about this place and these bears is the fish. So you almost need to really get some underwater stuff. We can't have, you know, eight participants running around in a river placing GoPros, hoping that you're going to get fish. So maybe that's a situation where everybody just gets together and we use one or two GoPros and everybody shares that footage to help tell their story. And everybody gets to see how we place them and 
why we chose a spot to place this particular camera or can we find a place where a bear might actually walk over the camera which would give you some really cool footage it has happened i've never got it but if you get the right spot that can happen and then you can get into a better situation where we get so much more time to produce that segment or that sequence or that little story whatever it's three minutes five minutes seven minutes i think that 10 days would allow us to do that what do you think brandon yeah i think so the I mean, it's so hard because you're like, when, it, when we say story, right, it's everyone's always like, oh, you need a beginning, a middle and an end, right? And you're like, well, with a bear that it's not quite, it is that simple, but it's not quite that simple, right? There's really, you need your characters, right? And so you need a bear that you constantly see that you can continue to reintroduce that can be your character. You need a conflict with that character. You need to start having some sort of plot, right? Like it's a family that continues to be in the area that's fishing for food, but it gets pushed out and there's your conflict, right? Be from this other bear. And then you need a resolution for that, right? And maybe there's not a resolution. The bear just goes away. There's your resolution. But like, how do you put that on film, right? And so it gets tough with that. So I, I think, yeah, you definitely need more than the six days that we were filming up there. I think 10 to 12 was probably a good one. I mean, if, now you could go from it from my perspective, right? You could go from the YouTuber perspective and just do it about yourself and you're the character. And that's probably how I'm going to approach mine. The problem you get into is where you guys talk about this a lot is how far can you push that before you start? Like you have the, as wildlife photographers, we're our own worst enemies in the world, right? Because we we show these pictures, we show these videos that are so amazing that people want to go and do these things. You have to be a little careful because, I mean, here in Colorado, we have Rocky Mountain National Park, and you're starting to see people go up and try and pet the elk. And it's not good for the elk, and it's definitely not good for those people. You don't want people doing that with bears um, because it'll push them out, and it's bad for the bears, it's bad for the habitat, it's bad for those people. And so that's the dilemma you get from the character perspective of yourself going out there on an adventure or at least that's where my personal hang up there is but that's definitely something that they could do and that would be easier to film in 10 days i think versus uh, just I a agree. bear yeah and it would have to be something like that because you're yeah. right i mean when i get sent out to shoot a story it's always they always have that character it's like you need to find this kind of a bear and then you need to try to stay with that bear throughout the whole sequel, you know, throughout the whole story. A lot of times it's not, if you watch nature programming, a lot of times it's mm -hmm. a little different bear each time, but they make it seem like it's the same bear and most people don't notice, notice. But I think that's the, the angle would be, yeah, it's almost like a YouTube thing where you have to have a purpose, right? So your purpose is, Hey, I'm going to go see bears and I'm going to try to produce a, a, a mini film or a mini documentary that is, of interest that just highlights my experience and that would be the story. But I think we could teach you how to get really epic, you know, TV show worthy footage that mixed in with your YouTube style content where you're filming yourself or whatever, whatever it happens to be. And you could do it without yourself too. You can make the boat, the character, you can make all kinds of different things, the character, but I think it would be kind of fun. Maybe I just want to do it because it just gives me more time out there. 
<laughs> what would be really cool is if you had multiple stories, right, where someone was doing the boat, someone was doing the participants, someone was doing a bear, all of a sudden you start to get a pretty interesting short film there where maybe you have 30 minutes where you have all these multi-connected stories that start to weave into one giant plot where there's a resolution of finding these bears. And I don't know, that might be pretty interesting. That might, that might be worth showing it to some of these short film, indie film areas. Well, that was a topic the first time we talked about, I think, I don't know. Do you guys remember we were talking about possibly coming up with a short film that, you know, compile everybody's footage together and you come up with maybe a, a, Film festival. Festival, yeah. It's a festival-worthy film that you could potentially put out if everything happens right. Yeah. Well, Mike, and your story could be the story of helping everybody create their story. You know what I mean? Like Brandon yeah. said, the boat, the whole trip, the whole situation, you know? That be might be difficult to do in that 12 days, like you keep saying, but could be interesting. We're going to try to see if it'll work. And we also, it's going to cost a little bit more just because we're out there more days. So I don't even know if we get enough people that would be interested in doing it, but we'll put it out there and see if we can generate the interest. So in the interest of moving this forward, um, let's talk a little bit more about you, Brandon, and uh, like diving into YouTube. How hard is that? It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the best, worst thing that I've ever done. It's bad because it like I'm not getting paid for anything right and I'm just putting stuff out there and you're just opening your heart up to the world and you're doing the things you love because if you're not doing the things that you love in your creative world it's going to show through pretty quickly right if you're being fake and it's maybe you can make that work for a while um, because several people do but I'm not a person where that works well and so you just you're putting everything out there that you want and you love and you're working hard towards it, but it's so rewarding because it keeps you accountable. So you, you got to be posting frequently. You're trying to find things that you love. You're trying to get better. And I would say if you go out there and you type like how to become a creator on YouTube, right? They're going to be like, go make a hundred films. And that's probably true just from a algorithm perspective that you'll make a hundred films and there's going to be enough watch hours and enough subscribers that are like, Oh, this guy has content that they'll subscribe and you'll finally make it off a little bit. But from my perspective, if you're not improving over a hundred films that you're making there, it's going to be a problem. And that's where I'm constantly trying to be. So I started with the automotive world and kind of grassroots drifting and I'm talking about drift cars for those. Michael was, he, I showed him this when I was talking to him on the trip and he's like drifting. What are you talking? I think he was imagining like the postman video, right? Where I'm like some drifter that's begging on the corners and ending up in California <laughs> or something. You're drifting down the river in a canoe. <laughs> Without a paddle. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, drifting is just a, a form of racing that there's usually two cars and they call it tandeming where there's certain rules that they have to be within to get points. But what's cool about it is it's still fast. 
So you, you get like the, the speed part of racing. You get the noise because they're usually loud cars. But there's a ton of smoke because they're just using a lot of wheel speed because they're sliding around corners. And so there's just smoke everywhere on the course. There's rubber flying into your face if you're on certain corners, right? Uh, it's usually pretty small courses, so it's a very intimate course where you can get pretty into the cars pretty quickly. And it, it's just a very exciting time. And you're smelling, the, they all use race fuel, right? So you smell the fuel and all the things that probably will shut down that industry in, at some point in time. But I absolutely love it. And it's just one of those things like you, there's nothing better than getting a car going around a short apex around you in slow-mo, right? And like 4K 120 and being able to slow it down and watch the tires go around and the smoke come off of it and the rubber fly out from it. And it just hooked me. And so I started doing that as part of the really the main segment of my channel. And it's done well. I've I started out with a whopping two subscribers. I uh, just cleared. That was your mom and your wife. <laughs> it was probably. <laughs> 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 I don't even think my mom subscribed. And so I'm up to She's 123 like, keep, keep, now. Keep working on it, son. Keep working on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 124 now. Brandon, okay, actually, so 124. 100, 125 at least because oh, I just did two. So. <laughs> okay, so there we go, 125. <laughs> and so I'm slowly increasing that. It's um in the race world, it's very competitive in that, and this is where I'm different most of the time. I'll be out in the middle of the course, and there's someone that doesn't know how to to do something. Like I would, for an example, um, I was taking pan shots, and so. When you're taking a pan shot of a race car, right, there's nothing worse than a race car that looks slow, right? And so the way to make a race car look slow is freeze it in time. And so use one over a thousand on your shutter speed and stop down and then just take it and make it stop where it is. And that is the absolute worst thing you can do in the race world. And so the opposite is you take some pans, right? And so you you turn your camera on blast mode, on machine gun mode, and you, you go to like one over 100 and you either have to use an ND filter to stop down your light or you got to go to F22 or wherever your lens will top out at and just start following cars and you'll get one out of a hundred when you first start and then when you get better you'll get maybe two out of the hundred and I'm down to where I can for the most part when I do a blast of 30 because you, you'll just as soon as they go around the corner you just take as many as you can because that car may not go around again. It may wreck. It may get hit by another car. They may just be burned up in tires. And so you take as many as you can. And I'll get down to maybe, I don't know, 10 out of 30, which is still not great. But those 10 are just incredible, right? Because you have the weird thing about drift cars is they'll be moving to on your X axis or your left to right. They don't go too much on elevation, right? They're not gaining any elevation. But they're front to back, so the front wheel and the rear wheel are moving disproportionately to the lateral length, right? So if you imagine this car going around a turn, they don't go around the turn at 30 miles an hour. They may go around the turn at 30, but the back may be going at 40 because it's sliding out further. And so your car is never 100% sharp, even if you shoot out at like F22. 
but because of the pan, you may get that front wheel or something. And, and when you get those and you get back to your, your uh, Lightroom or whatever you're doing to edit those photos and you pop that open and it's sharp, there's no better feeling. Well, maybe being looked at by a bear now that I think about it, but <laughs> like it's right up there. Right. And so you just get so excited. Um, and so that's how I got started the, on my YouTube channel. I also have a Jeep that we do four wheeling, camping, stuff like that. I struggle with that because I got a little six year old and you don't want to put him into the, that world too much, but he absolutely loves it. Like as soon as you pull the camera out, he's like, do I need to tell him to like, and subscribe? What are we doing today? And it's like, <laughs> how far do you want to push this? Right. <laughs> but so you got to protect them and they don't know what they're getting themselves into. And so I struggle with that, but the Jeep world is very much a, an area that I love. Um, I don't do it as much anymore. We used to do some really crazy trails here in Colorado, but all of a sudden when you become a dad, you start making different decisions and you don't want to go try and rock climb a waterfall or anything. And so it turns into, it's been coined now as overlanding. Uh, although I'd say overlanding is more where you're gone for multiple months. Africa was the first part where that really was and it popped up right and people were living out of their overlanders out of tents and stuff so we don't have too much of that we have a lot of weekend warriors that are um, weekend landers I guess yeah <laughs> and so I take some of those but uh, the drift car is really the where my bread and butter is it's sad because the Instagram algorithm has me figured out I'll post a, a car photo and get the normal amount of likes I'll post a a bear photo and I'll get 10 likes. And so it's just, it has me figured out at this point. And I hate bowing down to the algorithm. So I'm refusing to like change and do a wildlife section. So I'm just doing that, but um, no love once you get kind of pegged on a certain genre out there. But then you do wildlife on your YouTube channel too, right? So it's just almost like a general interest channel, but it has three or four points of focus. Yeah, and it's interesting because I did, um, shoot, you, I mean, you go through these trends, right? Like the trend right now is do two minutes or less really on a video, right? And so I posted three videos. I'm running a bit of an experiment because I'm not monetized at this point in time. So just test it, right? And so I ran these less than two minute films on the automotive side and they have pretty much fallen on their face, but it's because there's no story behind it. I posted a three and a half minute bear video and it is my number one video right now. So, but it has a good story. And so it gets back to that story because I wanted to see, is it really just this sensationalism? And the new thing on the car side is these really fast speed ramp cuts, which a speed ramp just means that you're either um, ramping up or ramping down. So you, in my shots, you have one full walk around of the car but you use speed ramps to increase the speed in going around the car. And then you slow it down around details and then you speed it back up, slow it down, speed it up, slow it down. And it comes out pretty cool. And you do it to a beat of the uh, beat of the song and it comes out pretty cool, but it has fallen on its face to anything that I have on my channel with a story. And so my top three videos all have very good storylines. I actually storyboarded them out. And so there's at least, some prerequisite of a story in my mind on those. And so it, it's interesting to see. Um, but I would say for anyone that's wanting to do that, I mean, definitely do it. A YouTube is better 
I've never been more fired up for on my creativity side than on YouTube. Instagram completely worthless for me. It just turns me off. It makes me not want to do anything. Facebook's the same way, but YouTube really it makes you go out there and want to be better and strive for something. So for anyone that wants to get out there and do something, I'd say go YouTube. Don't do, I mean, go do Instagram and stuff like that. It's a kind of a prerequisite in the creative world, but focus on YouTube. It's going to make you a, a better creator on that side. You're sort of preaching to the choir. We should have some built-in YouTube content, but we don't take advantage of it enough. And I think that's, that's a direction that we're going to head with the podcast as well as doing a little bit more visual storytelling along with the conversations that we get to have with, you know, a lot of tremendous photographers. Uh, and Mike did a good job actually by the, well, today uh, one of the stories came out and it was how to get the shot with Peter Ismert. And so if you haven't seen that, go back, find it on the YouTube channel because the, the shots that we're discussing, uh, Michael was able to use for the homepage. And so when, as Peter's talking, you can see the shot that we're talking about and you can kind of start to visualize everything that he was putting into place uh, to get those shots or to build those shots. And so I think that's, that's going to be a good tool for us. Yeah. And I think that just is, it speaks to what you just said. I mean, and what you said too, Brandon, you've really got to kind of hone the content and we have the perfect scenario, the perfect storm to do it. Right. And we just don't do it. And it's hard because we're not all in the same spot. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're spread out, but these tools are getting better where we should be able to pull that off. You know, our next podcast with Brandon could be calling him up and say, Hey, we need five images. And we're going to pull those images up and we're going to talk about those images in detail about how you got it, what your settings were, what did you feel like, blah, 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 whatever, whatever is of interest uh, that made that image. And I think that's the kind of stuff where people are going to walk away and say, wow, I learned something or I was inspired or whatever it is. We just need to do that. I think where you guys could also do, and maybe this is where your, your listeners could chime in is I'm imagining you guys are well-versed. I'm guessing you take more photos than a lot of the listeners and you edit those photos more than they do. So you're well-versed in those editing softwares. It may be one of those things like submit two photos or three photos and edit them. And this is how we edit them. And okay, those so are really we, cool. We did that. <laughs> so we did okay, that. Queso's dip. Cheese dip. And uh, <laughs> I edited the photos. And as soon as we got that video done and ready to be published, Lightroom changed their whole editing software and so now it was a matter of going back and redoing them and that's i haven't done that yet and i think what i'm going to do is just a i'm going to do something on the end and say hey here's here's the new tools it's going to make what i just said a heck of a lot easier for you and uh, give everybody the ability to do what we just discussed but brandon we've tried that actually yeah. one time too where and like I said, the software on the internet is getting so much better that, you know, Jason can be performing Lightroom on an image and Ron can be doing the same thing. And I should be able to cut to their screen sitting here in Colorado while he's there in Wyoming and Utah. And, be, and then they can be speaking to, okay, 
you know, it's going to take me 10 minutes to get this image and this is the things that I'm doing. And I think that would, for our audience, I think that is what people would really thrive on as, as far as still images go for sure. And we tried it once and then I, I messed it up just cause it's, it is a lot of moving parts, you know, when you're trying to sit here and do it all. And I learned really fast that Ron and Jason are way better at Lightroom than I am. So I was partly blown away by couldn't keep up because I'm like, Oh man, I'm like learning what, as I'm watching them do this stuff and I'm not paying attention to what I'm trying to do and, or trying to cut this episode. So it comes across well, but I think that's where the potential's at. You really just need a, a reoccurring adventure. I don't know. You just need something that just is that one hook that you're doing pretty much the same thing, but it's always a new adventure. And just people just want to follow that story with you along the way. I think the most successful YouTube channels are, are of that format. I think we had to start doing some, you know, open the box stuff, you know, those, some of those do really well. And if anybody wants to start sending us a bunch of free camera gear, we'll be happy to pop all kinds of boxes <laughs> to, do, to do all those box openings. Well, don't you need some new Canon glass for that R3? Absolutely. Yeah. No, he's already bought it all. He did. There's nothing. I don't know Canon, what Jason could get that he doesn't have already. There's nothing Canon oh. makes that Jason doesn't have. That's well, not they could true. make a 200 to 400. So could Sony. Amen. Yeah. I hear yeah. that one's coming. But... Supposedly it's coming. Yep. Allegedly. Yeah. yeah allegedly. Rumors. <laughs> The patent, the patent is as old as the R mount. I mean, they've they've had the patent <laughs> for quite a while, and they've got to replace that lens. It's a popular lens, so I'm anticipating it coming soon. But that's what I'm saving my left kidney for. I keep saying <laughs> when that lens comes out. So, and if it, I guess if anybody else needs it, uh, we can negotiate. But. <laughs> So before we go into pro tips, then let's, uh, what is your YouTube channel? How do people find you? Uh, just go out there and look for Brandon day 303, 303 being Colorado. So the area code, area code. Yeah. Yeah. Go subscribe yeah, everybody. And then if, if you're uh, not interested in drifting, that's okay. Just let it play. Just, <laughs> just turn it on while you go to work. If you have unlimited internet, just let it play through his whole playlist. There's wildlife we'll out help there. Him out. Well, I'll have more out there. I've just been, I'll be honest, I'm struggling with the wildlife on the video side because I, I'm such a, well, like we talked about, like I want to have something that means something. And so to just have some, I don't know, like a drive through one of the wildlife tours and you see some birds, you see some bison, you see some deer. That's not really a, it's interesting to other people, but I don't appreciate that because I see it so often. Right. But you just need to post it sometimes. And that, I mean, that's where I struggle is more often than not, we're so lucky to see what we do on many fronts. Um, you just need to post that type of stuff. So just a little bit of discussion on that. I think that's a very interesting point you brought up and we have a friend who has a video that she did a reel on and um, not nothing against her at all. It's a really good little video, but it's just a cell phone video and it's an elk bugling. 
and she has over 6 million views on that one video, right? So I, I think it's kind of important to <laughs> sometimes a lot of people like just seeing the wildlife stuff that doesn't necessarily have to be a big in-depth story, you know, and I think that's hard for somebody like you that's coming from the video side saying, I got to tell a story, I got to tell a story. And I, unfortunately, the world we live in now, if you can't tell a story in six seconds, <laughs> you know, it's like, especially on Instagram or reels or TikTok or whatever, you know, people aren't going to stick around and watch it, you know? So anyways, yeah. just some food for thought to kind of maybe motivate you to po post more of that stuff, you know, especially on your Instagram and that. But. Yeah. And I think the flip side to that is you can go out and watch Morton Hilmer or Jimmy B Right. And those guys are doing some pretty good stuff with telling the story. Now, they are. Yeah. they're not cranking out the two videos a week, which are really going to, you know, hit that algorithm hard. But what they are cranking out is pretty good. And I don't know, Jimmy B, what his his latest numbers are, but I think Morton Helmer gets thirty to 40,000 views on a video. And, wow. you know, he's basically just saying, I haven't watched too many of them. I just watched a few of them the other day, but. Uh, he set up a live camera feed at, at a little place that he has somewhere. I don't even know where it's at, but I'm assuming somewhere in the U.S. or maybe it's in some foreign country where he lives. And uh, it's just a live feed on YouTube, I think. But then he'll do a story or he'll do a whole edit about how he set it all up. And maybe that is a little bit easier conduit, you know, instead of just going through one of these national parks and just putting all the highlights together, it's, it's coming up with, okay, today I'm, this is the shot I want to get. And this is how I'm going to get that shot. And this is what I'm going to have to go through. And most of the time it's going to be a failure, but that's okay because we all do it. Right. But if you do get it, there's your whole story. That's the whole way to put it together. And that's the kind of stuff that I think, you know, almost becomes a how to too. Right. And that is what YouTube is best at. If I want to change an air filter on a vehicle, that I can't figure out, I'm going to YouTube because it's going to tell me exactly what I got to do. Right. So I think people are going to search that kind of stuff for camera stuff all day long. You know, and I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast yet. I don't think we have yet, but it's important for everybody to know too, that um, because Instagram wants to be the app, they've actually started paying people for reels and you can make, pretty good money depending on what kind of video what kind of views you get on your on your reels so that's a first that i'm aware of you know they're also offering some subscription things and other things out there right but they're continuously um improving and making it more um usable and uh user friendly to try to make some income with uh, your instagram account too so just some food for thought there too yeah i i, I think the limit well, I was told, but I, I've not researched. Is it twelve hundred bucks? Is it, the most it, you can make so, a month in a month? No, yeah. so it depends on who you are and what kind of drive you have and what kind of views you have. I know for a fact I won't name names, but I've seen somebody else's account, and they do quite a few. And they do quite a bit. They have around eighty to ninety thousand followers, so I don't know if that plays into it. But their maximum they can make in a month is actually thirty five thousand dollars on Instagram. That's funny. Now they I... have to get. 350 million views to get that $35,000. Yeah. But, but they, their max is not 1200. It's 35,000. 
So there's something going on there about, I don't know how, if it's how many you've posted and how many views you've gotten, there's levels and I'm not sure how all that works, but it's not just a $1,200 max. Yeah. Cause I just talked to somebody with 150,000 followers and their max is 1200. So I don't know how you get so, beyond that. If it's a business categorization thing or, or what it is, but yeah, that's good because I've just about given up on wasting my time with Instagram. <laughs> but here's the deal. And maybe since we're talking about it, do you give up your copyright the minute you put it on Instagram? The copyright to the, to the image? Yeah. I was no. under the impression and I no. need to check it out, but the minute you, you put it up there, it's in the public domain. And if you read the fine print on Instagram, that's what it says is what I was told. That, I haven't went and done that research on particular thousand pixel wide image with your watermark on it is in the public domain in as much as people can share it. Right. For somebody to be they, able to take it, print it, claim it as their own. That is not what right. they're talking about. Or to take it and use it to make money. And so Correct. what's this is an interesting point. I Everybody knows, well, most people know, I actually have a licensed video, one. It's the elk fight that I've posted a couple times. Um, I, this is an interesting area, and I'm not sure I need to reach out to Juke and Media, who I've licensed it with, and ask them the question. Because now that Instagram's paying for reels, I have a lot of accounts that have been sharing that reel, and they're getting paid, right, from views from my reel. And that's a licensed video. So I'm not sure how that works and how I think this is just a whole new area, right? That I don't think maybe everybody's caught on to or figured out how to, how to protect that. But there is some, there's some things there, right? I don't know what that means yet, but some food for thought. If you do have a licensed video, you may want to be careful how you're sharing it now because of that. And those folks that are using it with, you know, they may not even know it's licensed and that's where it gets tricky. So they might be using it and sharing it to make money and you're not, you're not getting compensated for that. But I don't know. I, so I don't know. This is just another area to, things evolves very quickly. So. Yeah. And it's new. So there's no precedent that's been established right. yet. So, you know, I think that's the next thing that's going to have to happen is maybe you could do that for us all, Jason. <laughs> right. I'll go fight that fight. I've made so much money off that license video attorney. too. Yeah. You guys have no idea. I'm retiring next month. I don't know if you yeah. guys knew that. But. Buying a <laughs> cup of coffee it, like, a month. Is it yeah, right. $30 a week? Uh, um, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> see, I have the same problem though, Jason, with the same company. And I licensed a video and I see it all the time still. People email me all the time and say, hey, did you know your video is running over here? And I'll send an email to them and say, look, it's running over here. And they try to stop it. But once it gets out of control, but the problem is, is then somebody else is making money on that reel, right? Right. They well, have now, a big enough following. Right. But your point's about, so this is where I think it's weird. In the past, if some other account's sharing it and they're not making money, big deal. They look at that, I think, as it's advertising for your video. So they're not, they don't care, share away. As long as they're not being compensated for using it, I think that's where the line's drawn, right? If they're making money using that licensed video, then they should be paying for the use of it. So that's where it gets a little hairy. I mean, my video has been shared a ton of times before and it's no big deal. Um, but now that the, those come, those other accounts are making money off that reel, there's a, there's a fuzzy area. You know? Well, and I think that's 
the danger of sharing it on a Facebook owned platform and why YouTube is the place to share videos like that. Because the more people share it on YouTube, the more views your particular video gets and, and that license then is paid where, you know, we have these public domain issues with the Facebook platforms, which includes Instagram now. And so those, it's a little bit more of a gray area. And I, I would imagine there's probably even judges that don't want to rule one way or the other because it's so convoluted uh, the way that those agreements are written. And that's speculation, but I think that probably is part of the problem. Well, I think you're 100% right. I mean, when I submit our videos, and, and Brandon, you can probably talk to it better than I can, but when I submit one of our just talking head podcast videos, and if I allow it to be monetized, then it goes through a whole copyright check in the background. So it's checking music, it's checking your video, it's checking everything to verify that it's not you're not profiting if you do happen to monetize from somebody else's work which is kind of cool. And that's what Instagram, that's why I haven't done Instagram. I won't, you know, I got in this little phase where it's like, I got a bunch of cool wildlife video that I own. And I was showing somebody the other day, how you can just take a slice out of a horizontal video and just take that vertical slice that you want for Instagram. And you can motion track it and do all kinds of stuff so that you keep your subject where it needs to be on a vertical frame. But then I'm like, well, I'm not going to put it up there because everybody else is just going to take it and put it on their own and either call it their own or, you know, they might even give you the credit for it. But what good is it doing you? You know, in reality on Instagram, whereas on YouTube, I think it's always going to kind of come back to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, then it's just the whole algorithm thing and actually getting the traction on YouTube so you can actually make the kind of money that you would think you should and. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's tough. It's not easy. <laughs> well, YouTube has their shorts. So if you, if the reels style video is what they're shooting for, you could post those on the shorts and they'll monitor that right now. I would say is the best time to get into that. Cause they're trying to get up there with TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and all these other things. And so they're, You can never confirm any of these things, but it would appear that people that are focusing on their shorts right now are increasing on that algorithm side. So it's a good time to get into it. Mm -hmm. And you can, I mean, they're pushing those every day, right in the middle of your phone. Or um, if you're on the website, they'll have it halfway down your, your feed. So, I mean, they're pushing it pretty hard as well. Mm -hmm. Is, and, then, and they're monetized? Yes. You know? Yeah, that's monetized. They are monetized and huh? it's separate from your channel. So you can monetize your shorts faster if your channel isn't monetized. And on YouTube, mm -hmm. just for those that don't know, it's a thousand subscribers and four thousand watch hours within a year. Hmm. Which is a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. Like you're putting out a lot of content. Okay, good protein. Now that we, now, now now that we haven't solved that problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my pro tips tonight is on YouTube, so and it's so dumb. I shouldn't be saying anything because I know very little, but I think it'll it'll play into. Well, that's interest. a but that's a good segue. So you can go ahead with it. Well, I consume a ton of YouTube just because if I'm editing images 
or if I'm working on invoices or if I'm doing stuff where I can actually listen to something else, then a lot of times I just have YouTube on in the background, but I don't just let it play. I go out and try to find stuff that I like to follow. And, um, recently I've, I, I don't know why I got into this, but milling big logs and making your own lumber for some reason has been like a, this thing for me. So I started finding all these channels and it's kind of cool because they have a purpose, right? They have something that they're going to, they're going to take this log and they're either going to create specialty wood for something, or they're going to create lumber to build a cabin, or they're going to, I don't know. It just got to be kind of cool, but I also have some other ones where, and it must've been last winter. I found this gal who was riding a motorcycle from South America to Alaska and it involves travel and it's, she's got like the perfect formula for creating a really cool 20 minute video twice a week because everything she sees from whenever she started this, I mean, she's in year six of doing this, but this year six is a trip from South America to Alaska, but starting way down there and then doing these little vignettes or 20 minute videos about Guatemala or crossing the border from Mexico into the United States or going from the one I watched today, she went from Colorado to Wyoming, you know, just it's a whole travel span. If you're into the YouTube thing, it's really dial into one of those sequences and just it's, it's a formula. You know, if you just figure out what that is for you, just start taking in all this content. And I have no idea. I should have looked at her specs before or her subscribers or whatever you call it before I threw this out there, but um, she's got to be doing pretty dang well because she's got well over half a million subscribers and she's doing 20 minutes a week or 20 minutes twice a week. So it's pretty, uh, for me, it's really inspiring to watch it. And that's why I look at it like all of our stuff and I'm like, God, it'd be so easy. We just need to, like you and I, Ron, we should have just said, okay, we're, we're not going to go shoot elk. We're going to shoot elk if we can find elk, but let's make this into a story. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's say, let's not eat Mexican the night before that starts the whole story <laughs> and then take it all the There's way to, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. And the, no, truly I could have, I could have put a GoPro on my head and the conflict really began at about one thirty in the morning. <laughs> what, did you set off another car alarm? Uh, I did not. No, I was I was uh, cautioned against that because I was borrowing somebody's camp spot. <laughs> so, so we uh, so Ron rolled into town and we had a campsite that we could have two vehicles in, right? So I was like, just park your vehicle next to the and van. If you are a park ranger, now is the time to stop listening. <laughs> Just park next to the van, and then uh, when we get ready to head out in the morning, we're just we're already in the park, you know, quick, easy getaway. So I don't know. I woke up at like two thirty and had to pee, and so I jump out of the van and I look in Ron's car, which is right next door, and I see him on his phone, and I'm like, "Holy crap! This is two thirty in the morning, and he's either can't sleep or just woke up." Well, I don't know what the deal is, but I just kind of did my thing and got back in the van. And the next morning I wake up and he's out. I can hear snoring. I can hear like, I'm like, I know he was up at two 30. I'm not going to wake him up. I'm going to go out and find some stuff. And then I'll text him 
you know, 30 minutes before the sun comes up. Cause I was getting up real early cause I was going to try to record audio. So it was earlier than we needed to be out there. But my goal is to try it out and get record some audio without cars or without airplanes or without, you know, a lot of the stuff. So he didn't need to be out when I was out. So I thought, okay, we can sleep a little bit, but, uh, he was having problems, problems because of the, and thankfully the, in the end, Mike did wake me up. He sent me a text. My alarm did not go off. So when he thought, you know, I was just getting rest and I better leave him sleep. No, I was intending to be up. However, the alarm didn't go off and he sent me a text and the, fortunately the, the phone vibrated next to me, woke me up and he's like, where are you at? I'm like, Oh, I'm jumping in the driver's seat. I'm leaving right now. And actually I was jumping out of my sleeping bag <laughs> and, and getting on the move. Been awake for a half hour. Yeah. <laughs> but that would have been really good YouTube content. I mean, we just need to focus in on that. And yeah. me watching these videos really, really helps. So my pro tip is to, I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'll put a link to her thing and it may not be your thing, but it's overlanding. It's on a motorcycle. It's a, a single gal that's doing it by herself and she's traveling pretty much dirt road. She tries to stay off the pavement as much as she can all the way from Tierra del Fuego all the way to Alaska. And I'm to the point where she's in Colorado, which it's old now because I started watching this last spring and I'm sure she's already done with it. So I'm just catching up with whatever, but the formula, I mean, she wakes up, she does, a little thing on them we go get breakfast and at breakfast she pulls out this map and she says i'm here and my plan is to go to there and i'm going to take these roads to get there and and then the other cool thing that i tell people all the time because i'm constantly um giving people advice when i shouldn't be because <laughs> you know i don't do enough of this youtube myself but she's doing everything with gopros She's got a GoPro on her helmet. She's got a GoPro on the bike that's pointing back towards her. And she's got a GoPro on the bike pointing forward. And it's pretty much those three cameras that run this whole deal. So it doesn't need to cost a fortune to do this, right? You can do it all with GoPros and make it work. So I'll put a link. It's Itchy Boots is the name of her uh, channel. It's kind of cool. And if you're into making content, it's probably a good video to watch or a good channel to watch awesome my pro tip is set redundant alarms <laughs> i think we could do a whole youtube channel on ron's troubles in the field <laughs> we could do we could do some serious recreations except the uh the car alarm incident i'm not gonna i'm not gonna volunteer to be in my underwear on the youtube channel because <laughs> Nobody wants to see that, but we could <laughs> we could recreate the remainder of the incident for sure. Jason volunteered. Okay, I'll go. You volunteered me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have. A, are we just doing one or two, or what are we doing tonight, guys? Couple, however many you want. We can do two. Okay. So one of my first ones that I wanted to talk about. This is a little bit more detailed one. Is I just had an opportunity come up recently where I was asked to do a shoot for um, a publication and it was something that was completely out of my comfort zone. Uh, it was something I've never done before from on a paid basis. So uh, I was a little bit hesitant to take that opportunity because I just wanted to make sure that if I took it, that I could actually perform and meet their expectations. 
Um, so I took on the challenge and ended up, I just turned the images in just a couple days ago and ended up being a great, great success. They were very tickled with everything they got. Um, hopefully I over delivered and, uh, and hopefully they're happy and maybe I'll have other opportunities in the future. But the reason I bring it up is because I think it's important. We've talked about it before to, to make sure that we're looking at all different. We've talked about it a lot tonight. Look at different ways to get revenue for new photography, right? And for me, this was something that stretched me and it taught me a lot. And I think every time you stretch yourself, you learn, right? And in that process of challenging myself and being really concerned about and trying to make sure I get, got the right shots and covered everything properly, I think I learned quite a few things. And it also just, I think, makes you a better photographer overall, better, better videographer overall. You know, you just, you just expand your horizons. You expand everything that you're able to, to uh, be paid for and or do. So something that was something I wanted to mention tonight was just don't be afraid to stretch yourself. Matter of fact, maybe it's better to stretch yourself to learn those things before those opportunities come. So you're not putting yourself in a situation where you may underperform. But uh, fortunately for me, I feel like I knew enough that I could take on the challenge and it, it seemed like it worked out all right. So can you talk about it or is it something that you have to wait till it's out? I think I have to wait till it's out at this point, but it's not a big, big deal. And it's for a very, uh, very well-known um, conservation organization, but um, uh, it was it wasn't a big deal, honestly. I probably made it more of a big deal for me than it was, just because I was concerned and wanted to make sure that I performed. But um, but that's that's actually kind of fun and exciting too. That that pressure, that challenge was invigorating for me. You know what I mean? It's like okay, I'm gonna have to actually learn something, do something different here, which is kind of fun. So you should have just shouldn't have waited. You should have just become a wedding photographer. Yeah. That's never going to happen, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> Too many people want to get married in the fall. That's just, that's the problem. So. <laughs> yep. Well, I think there's a lot to be said for that pro tip, just because, I mean, I got thrown into that situation a lot over my career where you feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, but you know, if you don't take it, then you're missing out on some potential stuff. And what's the worst that can happen? I mean, if you fail, then you'll never get called back. If you right. kill it, then, you know, you just opened up a whole nother door for yourself. So I think you just got to do that kind of thing. And just, if you, you know, as long as it's not a wedding, right. <laughs> right. take it on and do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think it's, uh, it was, it, I don't know how to, it, I just, it was very exciting and the way it turned out was awesome. So. Um, I think there was a little bit of it back in my mind, though, just to be honest, I felt like I could do it. I just didn't know if I could do it at the level that they would expect it. Right. So, I mean, to be honest and to be fair, I didn't it wasn't something so out of out of whack that, you know, I didn't think I could, you know, technically do the job. I just didn't know if I could get the kind of content they were looking for. So anyways, turned out to be really good. So don't be afraid to stretch yourself. Awesome. I'm going to steal a page out of Michael's book and go gear centric. And these little babies right here, are sand discs. So Mark used to always take his laptop and his hard drive with him everywhere he went, because if somebody called and needed an image, he wanted to be able to deliver it. So that's kind of something that I picked up from him. The reason that I'm recommending this one is this little square is fingerprint protected. So 
you can hold on. You're holding it up, and uh, nobody listening is going to have a clue. It is a Samsung. Samsung SSD drive. Okay. And then back to Ninja mode. Got the Samsung <laughs> right in front of my face. So right in the middle of the SSD drive, there is a small square that basically has the, the fingerprint reader. So instead of being password protected, it's you know a little bit quicker access. You just access it with your fingerprint, much like you can on your uh, your MacBook. You know, instead of a password, you can just use your fingerprint to get into that and access your access your computer. Same thing with this. You can access your files. So if you want a little bit of extra protection and you are going to take your images with you, these little Samsung SSD drives are kind of nice because if somebody does get a hold of it, they don't get your whole book of images unless they chop off your finger. And then they only have a one in 10 chance of getting the right <laughs> finger so it does give you a little bit of extra don't, protection in the field don't use your index finger <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't make it easy on them make them guess can i ask a potentially stupid question from my my seat you may how do you know what photos they're going to ask for because that can't possibly hold all your photos that you No, it can't it doesn't hold all of them but so it depends on the time of year you're depending on what kind of stories people are going to be right. doing. So you're going to have different images on there. You know, there's no way it's going to hold your entire portfolio, but you try to stay prepared seasonally. So, so, so hang on a minute. How many, is it a terabyte? That's it's, what I was going to ask. How big is it? Four terabytes. Oh my goodness. Come really? on, man. Yeah. I have a one terabyte sand disc, right guys. And I've only, I haven't been shooting for near as long as you guys. But I have a one terabyte sand disk that I keep. I have backups. We've talked about this before. It's a solid state. And I keep every image I've ever edited and the smaller version of it, the, the reduced size, the 1600 or whatever, has every single file I've ever edited on it. And it's less than 300 megabytes. 300 gigabytes. Wrong. Sorry, 300 gigabytes. Sorry, not megabytes. Sorry, that's that was bad. So basically, there's two images on there. No, so there's you can no. you can make two postage stamps out of Jason's one terabyte drive. Right. <laughs> well, and that's why I suck. And I think that speaks to what you're referring to, Mark. Too, Mark would these are just selects. So yeah. it's the right. cream of the crop. It's the Cover shots. You know, your, there's no way yeah. every image you ever took would ever go on that drive. But nope. if you're just taking the selects from like the last 10 years and it's just stills, it's probably going to fit on a four mm -hmm. terabyte drive. Right. For sure. And Mark used to produce, I think, TIFFs. So his, his images were a lot better everything than if in you're TIFFs just doing, are... doing high-res JPEGs. Yep. So that's... Hmm. Yeah, and was four terabytes the biggest you could get with yeah, that? Yeah, that's as big as you can go. And that's probably a pretty pricey drive then. It's not cheap. What is that, <laughs> that like is 800 bucks? Uh, I'm ashamed it's to say, but young. pretty close, yes. Well, I think it's worth it because Mark used to show up. We'd go eat dinner. We'd be out shooting somewhere, and his pockets would be full of hard drives because he didn't want to leave them in the car or he'd take his when we're eating at a restaurant in. at some place. So, yeah, I mean, that is just that one added little level. Yep. Hmm. 
level O protection. He kept Ron out running around in his underwear. You might have a better chance of getting his finger after he's. <laughs> but you're not going to want it. Uh, <laughs> I just thought of a joke. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> we better wait. <laughs> if you made right, it this randomly. far in the podcast, once again, <laughs> we appreciate you hanging on. <laughs> Brandon, what do you got? Uh, I got two. One is probably common sense. Uh, I'll start with that one. Use your tripod or your monopod to check the depth of the rivers or the little streams up there in Alaska <laughs> before you cross them. That's a good one. <laughs> that actually is a good one. I, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> Michael looks at me and goes, how deep do you think that is? And we hadn't crossed anything that wasn't waist high. I'm like, I don't know. So I start putting my foot down there and it goes deeper and deeper. And I got to that point of no return. And in I went <laughs> and I started treading water. And it's the last day we're up there. And I have chest waders on and a backpack. And I'm wearing like the boots. And so I'm like, this is how I'm going to die. It's not going to be a bear. <laughs> it's not going to be a wolf, killer whale, not, nothing. It's going to be me drowning. <laughs> and luckily they just pulled me out, but. Gosh, don't do that. Learn but he did mistakes. it like a pro, man. Because I, I, it was fishy to me. That's why I was like, who wants to try to see how deep this is? And I didn't Literally. think anybody would take me up on it. And, but it's, you know, and it was, I don't know what, eight feet across at the most. Most, most of those rivers up there, you know, can be huge, right? So this didn't look, it wasn't that far across. It was awful kind of milky water. So you couldn't see the bottom. And it just had that, sense of like mm, i'm not trying that so i just threw it out there where there was what six or seven of us standing there yeah. I'm like who wants to see how deep that is and i know i said it and he was immediately putting his foot in and i'm like <laughs> oh no oh no and it was that point of no return and then he he was cool as a cucumber because i'm like wow he just went all the way down and i don't know he's treading water but he didn't look like it. I mean, it was so cool. And we got him out really fast. I'm like, here, yeah. grab my hand. And somebody else grabbed one hand and I grabbed the other. But his pack is no joke. His pack is probably 35 pounds. And then, you know, you're wearing the waders. And his when we pulled him out, he had a waterproof jacket on. And he dumped water out of all the pockets. <laughs> all the pockets <laughs> were full. <laughs> so yeah, I, it would have been like viral video success totally. totally but of course nobody he did it so quick like i said i i just said who wants to try it out and there he goes i didn't even have time to get a camera out next time i'm gonna before i say who wants to try this i'm gonna have the camera out <laughs> okay but that that also that comment and what brandon just told us kind of goes back to my earlier point we're trying to establish what kind of a workshop leader michael <laughs> well, is tell me <laughs> And we're right back to the the care that he gives to his participants. Hey, how about one of you suckers go out there and find out just how deep that? Don't worry, fair, don't worry. I can get your hand. Don't gotcha. Worry. My dad's got an awesome set of tools. We can we can fix it. To be fair, the captain of the ship wouldn't let me jump in the water off the boat either. So that I'm not maybe not Michael's fault. <laughs> Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> that was a mess. Um, my second one is just, I don't know about you guys, but I find myself 
not wanting to take the shot because I know it's not going to be perfect. And, but that's not the right answer. Like take the photo, take the video in my case, take the video, right? Because it's still a memory and it's still worth something. Now that's not to say like if there's that moment where you have a connection and maybe you don't want to ruin that connection or that moment because you want to focus on taking a video or a picture, that's all a different thing. But if you're like, Oh, the light's not good. That's not an excuse. Take, take the video, take the photo. It's still light and practice something because there's something to be learned, whether it's for yourself or maybe you're going to get something who knows, but just take it. And if it's all you have in your pocket is an iPhone, use it. I mean, they, it's a good thing to have. And I'll kind of piggyback on that. There's so many times where I'm like, Oh, it's dark out. I can't get a good photo. Switch over to video. 30 frames a second video takes one over 60 shutter. And so you can get a lot of light into that. And so just take the video and just, it may not be worth anything, but it'll pop up a year later in your feed or something. And you'll be like, Oh, that was a good time. And it'll be worth it for you. And, and maybe that's an, all that it takes, but it'll be good practice also. So I love that. I, that's a great one because I just actually am looking through some images from the last Elkra and I actually had some that I was playing around with that R3 and took some at like 10,000 ISO, 12.8 ISO, just playing around and in, in seeing, right? And I took some on a day where the light was terrible and everything else. And I actually surprised myself that not the 10,000 and 12,008, I don't think they're usable. I tried and I learned something, but that's the key. I learned something. And um, those ones that I took at like 3,600 or whatever it was, they are usable. And they actually ended up being some really, really good images that I thought were just going to be terrible. So I love that. I think that's a really good tip. Just take it and know that if anything, you're going to learn from it. So that, I mean, from the technical side, like Jason was just talking about, but also from the behavioral side, you're always looking for that perfect behavior. You're looking for that perfect head position. You're looking for that clean background, that kind of thing. And then I constantly see people that I was there with and they'll post images. And I know it was between this frame and that, you know, that I got, but the ones that I didn't take are, are ones that actually were very usable. And so you know, Mike says it all the time. Storage is cheap, right? So take the shot, get it while you're there because you're never going to be able to recreate it again with wildlife. So get it while you're there. Don't be shy. And I get pickier and pickier the the more I go out and, and I'm always looking for the cleanest shot. But it's the in-between moments a lot of times where you get those little nuances that you, you didn't even know existed before until you get a shot. And then it's, and then it's something that you can pay attention to in the future. You can kind of put that in the memory bank and remind yourself. So I like that too, you know, a little bit different slant than what Jason was talking about, but that's a great one. You're there, get it. Well, and I like it from the video aspect of things, you know, everything that I, the, all the cameras I use are all manual focus. Most of the time, sometimes I'm using an R5 or something that has autofocus, which is great. And I'll use it if I can, but with wildlife, it's so, unless you're filming on water or you have a wide open field that nothing's going to get in your way and that focus isn't going to jump, 
you're, you're back on manual focus and there is nothing harder than trying to predict the speed in which something is going away or coming to you. And if you can use those opportunities just to practice, even if you're not going to use, if the light sucks or whatever, I was filming some elk the other day, you know how they parallel. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, at some point they turn and look at each other and put bow their antlers down. And it's that whole kind of like dance kind of thing that they do, which is really cool. I just, the light sucked, but I kept trying it just to see if I could, you know, you're trying to guess at what speed are these animals going? I mean, it's got to be the same with cars too, right? I mean, it's not always consistent. So it's not like you can press a button or mechanically program it in and say, okay, they're going to be hitting 30 to 40 here. And the zoom goes, or the, the focus roll goes dot speed. The only way you're ever going to get good at it. Well, yeah, with cars, it'd be a little bit easier with autofocus just because you don't have stuff getting in your way. But I, there, too, you probably have situations where you get light poles or and maybe that's a lot better now than it used to be. And, and I know it will hold on a subject, but when I'm doing moose in Alaska and I've tried the autofocus, if they're sauntering along a trail and you're trying to and they go behind a tree for more than a couple of seconds, my camera won't stay on. It's it. gone. Yep. Yep. Whereas if I'm manual focus. That's a cool part of the scene. You want that. You want that animal to disappear and then reappear. But if it's if it's focus, 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 tree out of focus and then pops out and it's out of focus, that's unusable. But if you got manual focus on and you got it all the way through and it pops out on the other side of the tree and they're still in focus, that they're going to use that. So just practicing those kinds of things with video, that it's a great tip. I like that, Brandon. Good job. My next one is going to be, you know, get your, get your gear. And I think we've said this before, get your gear, lock into your system, get comfortable with it. And then the money that you spend, either spend on a trip or spend on a workshop. And I say, I, I would lean toward workshop because you're going to learn not only from the workshop leader, you're going to learn from other participants and it kind of goes back to what you said earlier, Brandon. There's some people there that have a lot of experience. And some people take these workshops just to get to the locations where they can get the content that they want. They know plenty about their their art and their, you know, their camera system, the style that they want to pursue, but they need to get to these locations. And a workshop is a good way to do that. But I think it's a we always talk about building your network. A workshop's a great place to do that. There's probably people that were participants that you're still staying in contact with, some that you probably will shoot with in the future. But once you get locked into your system, you know, continue to invest in yourself and continue to invest in your photography by taking a trip to a destination where you're going to have a lot of opportunity or and or be a participant in a workshop. And I think, I think you're going to see yourself grow just because you're challenged by the, the person next to you. Maybe a wild and exposed workshop, right? Well, I mean, for sure. You're... <laughs> Without question. <laughs> We're a little partial to those ones. <laughs> well, I got one more. Go ahead, you got one, Jason? Yeah, I got one more, but go ahead. Well, mine is going back to the old gear thing just because it, uh, it was the only thing I could think of. <laughs> uh, I just 
purchased a bunch of or switched battery systems for my um, video camera. And as Brandon knows, well, you guys know that too. There's quite a few batteries that you need when you're out shooting, but you can't take them all, especially with me. I, the batteries are fairly big and you just don't want to load yourself down with batteries. So if I can take two or three out in the morning and two or three out in the afternoon, I just exchange them. But I always had a hard time just managing these batteries, what's charged, what's not. What I found was on, on uh, Amazon is I found these bags. I'm hold it up here, but I'll put a link in the show notes. These are actually real bags, real as in fishing reel. So they're made for like fly fishing reels. So a lot of these guys that are into fly fishing, they'll have, different reels for different um, different water or different size of fish or whatever. And it's got these little dividers all in there. And it's perfect for batteries. It's perfect for a lot of stuff. But they're super cheap, and it's a way to keep the stuff organized. I can actually put a charger in with all my different batteries. And then I've found out that, you know, I don't use just video batteries. I have DSLR batteries. I have AA's. I have all this stuff. And you can get them in different sizes. I bought the bigger one that has all my batteries and a significant number of chargers. So then all of a sudden you have your battery package, which is kind of cool, or it just kind of keeps you organized. So I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's something that's helped me out. And I, I learned about it when I was up in the Arctic, cause that's how this stuff showed up. And I was like, Oh, that's a great idea. So I came back and bought them. That's a good idea. Yeah. It's funny. We were just, uh, talking about this, how there's a few things in life you just can't have too many of, right? As a guy, especially. Uh, <laughs> guns, knives, flashlights, and bags. <laughs> that's, that's, those are my, that's my list, by the way. But <laughs> and there's a bag for all that stuff. Absolutely. That's, yeah. <laughs> Got to be organized. <laughs> all right. So my last one is just another one that came up this fall. Um, I think we've mentioned it before, but I don't know if we've really actually gone into a little bit more detail. And I actually had a situation where I, I have Onyx, Onyx Maps, and I use it for a lot of different things. But I've really found it useful lately for me with my photography as well. Um, and it's it's really important to know where you're at and what, what kind of property you can access. And being in that area where there's quite a bit of um, open area in that in that area, in Estes Park area, and um, some private area too, right? And there was a bull in an area that we just didn't know if we could actually go on the property to shoot. And there wasn't, it wasn't obviously posted. It was, it was an area that was outside of the park. So we pulled up Onyx maps and was able to tell if it was private or not. And it wasn't. And we were able to use that and, and go photograph knowing that we were not, you know, breaking any rules or trespassing or anything. So I think it's also, I mean, that's just an example, right? That came up recently, but it's also a great scouting tool, like, you know, looking for more out of the way areas to photograph and looking for maybe some private property that might have some animals on it. That's, you know, not getting the kind of pressure that normal areas get that you might be able to contact the owner and get some special permission or you can just go on and on. Right. But it's a, I've found it to be very, very worth the investment and having that as a tool that I have in my bag. And also just for, you know, I know you can use Google Maps and everything else to do this too, but this is the, the way this, this way this software works. It's very easy to create folders. It's very easy to mark areas and to say, hey, I saw this in this location and mark that and put some information behind it, attach a photo to it. All this different things you can do on there, which is just really cool. 
So I've, I've just found that to be more of a very useful tool for a lot of different things, but especially my photography as of late. So that's an awesome one. And I think what, what you skipped across, but what it does, the reason you can call somebody if you find private land is it actually shows you the name of the people that own the property. So it's different layers. So it's not like he's guessing or reading a mailbox or whatever that information, not the phone number, but you know, with the little searching on the internet, you can generally find a phone number, or at least if you're going to be knocking on somebody's door, at least you can say, hi, Mr. Smith, or hi, Mrs. Johnson or whatever. And just, have at least an entry point into being just not this creepy dude that's (laughs) knocking on somebody's door, you know? So, right. Uh, there's so much uses. I use that app every time I'm in the field. It doesn't matter if I'm, you know, in, in a park, I might use it a waypoint, put in a waypoint where, Hey, I found a stream or I found a spring that might be really good in a dry time of year. Or, you know, if you find a nest, a great horned owl nest or something. I'll, I'll put a waypoint. It might be an old nest, but that means next spring when they're nesting, it's worth a look. And now you right. can remember exactly where it's at. Cause you got that waypoint. So, and it also right. does tracks. So yep. if you're hiking somewhere and if you get turned around, you just breadcrumb back out and you're, you're golden, or you just know how far you hiked or, you know, how, what, you know, there's just so much information to that app that, and they've got it multiple kinds of it too, right? They have one for four wheel drive roads. They yep. have, I don't know yep. what all they have, but there's well, a the lot layers is the layers is really cool too. And I mean, there's all kinds of little features like straight line distancing you can do on there. All kinds of stuff that just and and you also can just share. Like if you say like I found something really cool, but I don't want to share it with anybody but Ron. And so Ron's going to come up. He's going to meet me, and I can literally just send him that if he has on X, and he'll he can take that waypoint and come right to where I'm at. You know, so th- there's a ton of uses for this thing. It's a great tool in so many ways. So one last thing, and then I'll get, I'm a huge fan too. Um, if you're offline, so we're all used to being online and like in Rocky Mountain National Park, you're online a lot of the places, but there's some places you're not. You can download a map before you actually go to a place. So like when I was in the Arctic this summer, obviously I'm not, I don't have any connection. So I knew where I was going. So I went in and downloaded a series of maps, the high resolution maps that I would need. And if you have that, your satellite or your, I guess the satellite functionality, your G- GPS, your GPS functionality yep. still yep. works. So your maps work and your location still works. You're just not going to be able to pull up a map unless you download it beforehand. Mm-hmm. So as long as you know where you're going, and even if you're, you know, you're going to have cell phone coverage, I still download the map. Right just because it's just that peace of mind that if you're behind a little mountain or something and you don't have internet, you don't have to drive three miles to get internet to check something to go back. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm sorry, we keep going on this, but it just made me think <laughs> like the whole folder thing. I mean, you can literally, Mike, you can, and you probably did, you can create a folder for that shoot and you can have all those maps downloaded. You can work offline very easy when you're in the field, like you said, and any waypoint or anything you learn and mark while you're in the field It'll save it to that folder so that now when you go back, if you ever do that shoot again, you've got all this information and data right at your fingertips that you can use for, you know, whatever. So it's it's, it's really a powerful tool, way more powerful than I thought. I just got it this year and actually, you know, purchased it and started using its full capabilities. And I've just been blown away by all the things it can do and how many uses I can use it for. So, yeah, and I think it's, I don't know, I think it's a hundred bucks a year. 
but I'm not. Yeah, sure. and if you if you look around, there's plenty of places you can get your first year for twenty percent off and all kinds of stuff too. So you can end up getting into it for seventy or eighty bucks for your first year, and then it's just a hundred bucks a year. But I mean, I we say that we got to be careful, right? Because how many things do we have now that are, it's just a hundred bucks a year, you know, and you get freaking 15 of those things. And now, you know, so there goes your lots, Instagram lots that, reels right? budget. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I'm doing my taxes and I'm fully, fully aware right now of how many of those <laughs> subscriptions that I've got. Brandon, it's been awesome having you on the yeah, podcast. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Do it again. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's fun. It was fun to hear, you know, how little, respect michael had for his participants and and <laughs> it makes me glad for all of you that you actually made it back alive yeah <laughs> dave dave's a good one he i never had a dave had our back the whole time like there was never a time where i worried maybe one so so did you guys after that incident real quick did you guys add the auto inflate safety vest <laughs> right <laughs> Make to sure. the gear list. Make <laughs> sure that was Maybe that was the pro tip. I don't know. <laughs> Make sure that's on the suspenders of your waiters uh, next time you take a trip with Michael Marr. You know, I will have to say we did this. This was on our way back, and so we stopped at a place. So we filmed. We went down and we stopped at a place just to get a bare image under everybody's belt, right? But it wasn't super close, and it wasn't. It was cool. It's a beautiful spot. Went down and did our bear stuff, and we stopped there on our way back because we're trying to cut that travel time because 18 hours on a boat or 16 hours on a boat is a long time. We didn't have high hopes because there's not a big fish run at this place, and we're we're all like, oh, yeah, let's just go for a hike. you know. And for us, it was good to go on a hike because we'd been eating so well, right? But we get out there, and it was super cool because we got to see two wolves out there and we had no plan on you know we knew i'd seen wolves there before so that we knew the potential was there but you know you guys know it's like yeah the potential is there to see a wolf but what are the chances you know 10 percent chance of seeing a wolf and sure enough i mean we got out there just not too much further from where brandon was testing the water and <laughs> there's a couple of wolves that we probably saw them for what 15 20 minutes and they just kind of hung around they weren't like super close but they gave us some good images. If you guys look at the what's up page, we did a trip report and we should put that in there. So Brandon's images are on that trip report. So if you want to see some of the images Brandon took, but we put up images from uh, any of the other participants that actually sent us images from that trip, you can kind of go through and you can see kind of get a snapshot into what everybody was able to take on that trip. And I'm going to put, Brandon's video from YouTube embedded on this show notes page, but I also put it on that page too. So that way you guys can go follow Brandon's work. What is your, your uh, son say like, and subscribe. <laughs> like my son says, yeah. like, and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Yeah. Go funny. like all his videos and subscribe. Well, thanks for having me on guys. Thank you. That was a blast. Thank you. So what's next? The rut for everyone? The deer rut? The deer rut? Yes. That's what's next for me. Yeah. Moose, when is that? Actually moose rut. I'm not, first. Right, I'll probably hit some moose. I'll hit some moose late October, early November before I do that. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Wild and Exposed Podcast. Make sure you catch us in Austin if you can. Check us out on YouTube where we'll be putting up some more content. Make sure you like and subscribe there so we can make Brandon's son happy. 
And then also uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram, where now that the fall is, is settling down a little bit, we'll have some more content there as well. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way.